Hey, everybody, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to do a couple of logistical things. First of all, with the holidays coming up, for those of you who access this podcast through iOS apps, there may be a delay in seeing some of the new episodes. Now, you all know that I release new episodes every Sunday night, so... I'm going to continue on my own schedule. iTunes may be behind in pushing those through. They're going to be vacationing. And so uh, I ain't mad at them. But for all of you who want to hear the latest and greatest on NOL, you can also listen to the podcasts via my website, which is ladyfoxentertainment.com forward slash listen. They will always be there, even if they're not showing up on iTunes or pushing to your phone yet. And you can download them and uh, save them and listen to them still while you commute uh, and all that jazz. The second thing is, is I'd like to mention a new affiliate relationship I have. It's with a company called Reliable Education. Now, I know I personally couldn't stand working a day job, especially when I felt like I was doing it because I had to, you know, and it was just like this chore, right? So I'm a freelancer now and I love, I love being in control of my schedule and being able to make the choice if I want to travel or not. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of freedom too? Well, I have a solution for you. Reliable Education is going to teach you how to build an Amazon business. Do you ever see those Amazon stores? There's all these different options where you can buy a product. Well, you can be one of those Amazon sellers. They're going to show you how to do it. It'll take you a little bit. They're not guaranteeing overnight get-rich-quick schemes by any means. They're going to show you how to do it step-by-step. They have a very, very robust training program led by an entrepreneur named Adam Hudson, who I met. And um, he's a very charming fellow, and he's very good at what he does. So he's going to teach you how to build your very own Amazon business and eventually quit that day job so you can go and get on your yacht. Who wouldn't want that. So anyway, if you're listening to this podcast before Wednesday, November 23rd, 2016, you can get a free live webinar that Adam is hosting. In the show notes, I have the three time zones um, that you can access. It's going to be at 8 p.m. Sydney time, LA time, New York time. So there are three different links to those free live webinars so you can learn more about it. There's also a link to learn more on my website on the resources page, which is ladyfoxentertainment.com slash resources partners. You can also access it via the homepage at ladyfoxentertainment.com. There's a little button there that says resources. So go ahead and go build your business, people. I'm all about it. And uh, yes, if you join the program, I do get a little sliver, and I really, really hope you do join, because that's not only going to help you, but it's also going to help support the production of Nothing Off Limits, and I'm very grateful for that this Thanksgiving. Enjoy the show with Wes Hobrick, Art as a catharsis. Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should. Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Today we're going to dive deeper into catharsis through art. 
and how expressing emotions through art can be a powerful and potential alternative to medications for people who suffer from psychiatric illnesses. I'll be chatting with the wonderful Wes Hobrick, a 30-year-old self-trained visual artist and photographer from Quincy, Illinois. Wes suffers from generalized anxiety disorder and experiences chronic pain through migraines almost weekly. His migraines caused a chemical dependency on the heroin-like opioid Dilaudid. Wes also suffers with benign essential tremor, a Parkinson-like tremor. Now, mastery of the camera has been a significant psychological victory for Wes as it helped him kick his addiction to Dilaudid and gain control over his tremor. He's chosen not to treat his conditions with meds any longer. To Wes, they render him incapable of producing his art. Instead, Wes uses art to beat substance abuse, and it's working. His art has been published in Land Escape European Art Review, Quail Bell Magazine, Ilion Literary Magazine in South Africa, Midwestern Gothic Magazine, and many others. He's shown in Times Square Manhattan in the former Condé Nast skyscraper, in a digital display at the Louvre in Paris, at the Rochester, New York Contemporary Art Museum, and in many art galleries in and around St. Louis, Chicago, Kansas City, and Georgia. Art is his catharsis, and we're going to hear his story today. You can visit his website in the meantime to check out his awesome art at gemcitynoir.photography.com. Also check the show notes for links to his work there. Welcome, Wes. Glad to be here. You've done a lot, man. You've, your art's been all over the place. That it has, and you know, you really have to hustle with it. Well, yeah. I mean, anything in the arts, you got to be a hustler. Yep. <laughs> got to get it out there and, you know, just hope people pay attention and just keep plugging away. Yep. It's a big part of it. Totally. Now, you are on the show today as a result of sending an email through my website, through my contact form. And I'm so glad that you did, because I know that you have a very important set of messages to share with the audience today. So, But before we get there, tell us how you got started with your art, your photography, your graphic design, all of that fun stuff. Basically, I got started First, with um, graphic design, which I do the graphic design for our family business. And with that, I was basically self-taught with Photoshop in the digital dark room. And your family business is? We are a beer, spirits, and water distributor. All right. Um, our flagship brands are Paps, Blue Ribbon, and Coors Light. Cool. So you do all of the, the print work? I do. I do our bar signs, our signs for um, convenience stores, uh, price tags, basically everything. All of it. Cool. So that was your start into visual design. Mm-hmm. And then that progressed into collecting uh, cameras, vintage cameras off of eBay. Mm-hmm. And looking at um, expired films, vintage films, um, and different film stocks on there as well. So was there something that happened that changed this path that you were leading of getting more and more interested in art as a result of the family business, exploring cameras, and so on? What happened? A lot of that was really motivated by the chronic pain that I suffer from the migraines, and I think that was kind of started by when I had my thyroid removed. Um, they never really said if it was was cancer or not. Was it a genetic thing, or do you know where it came from? That's a good question, and I'm not totally sure. But I do know that in this area, there is a higher incidence 
of thyroid-related problems. Hmm. And I think it's because we sit so close to the river, and there's a lot of um, big ag and industry here. Yes. Oh, God. We could have a whole nother episode about that. (laughs) That we could. The effects of the environment on our health. Uh, Yeah. But what were you experiencing? Like, how did you know to even get checked for this? I was experiencing a lot of the symptoms, like difficulty swallowing, Mm -hmm. um, mood changes, just the stuff that's regulated by the thyroid. But at any rate, in 2011, I had it removed, and that in turn deviated my windpipe to the left and after that i started developing the migraines and with that i was running into the emergency room a lot and they were giving me dilaudid and that's where i got a chemical dependency on it and i went into rehab that's when i realized that art would be a good outlet for um, what i was feeling what i was dealing with particularly after I found out that Nikki Six, but he actually found salvation in photography. Mm. He found that it was just a good thing for him. So that's what he did. Okay. And I found that it was just a good thing for me. That's what I did. You know, you said something interesting to me when we spoke offline. You said the medications that they were giving you for the depression and the anxiety, you had already kicked the Dilaudid addiction by this point, but you said that they were affecting your art because now you were really into it. So so tell me more about that. Yeah, the SSRIs I found were making me emotionally just numb where you don't go up with the emotions and you don't go down. And it just sort of makes you numb to the world or it made me numb to the world. I've heard that. Uh, Somebody else said that to me once. They were like, you know, I just feel like I'm kind of like on this steady stream, like nothing's really upsetting me, but I'm also not experiencing any joy or like real emotions. It's like bizarre feeling. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, but that's what I found with the SSRIs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they even tried me on, you know, the whole gamut, basically, of depression medications. Uh, really, the only things I haven't tried for it are electroconvulsive therapy and the um, magnetic brain stimulation. I, I don't know how I feel about those, Wes, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. That seems like very you know, archaic. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, the shock therapy definitely is, although it's kind of evolved from the 1950s setting. Well, thank God. I'd actually like to shift the conversation away from electroconvulsive therapies, <laughs> which sounds really invasive, over to your art. Let's talk about your art. You mentioned that you're self-trained, and I'm a huge proponent of people who are self-trained across any art form. I think it brings a rawness to whatever the creative project is. And so I want to know more about your self-training and how it fits into the larger context of the visual art world. That, that rawness is certainly a good descriptor. I mean, it, art education is a good thing up to a certain point. So I do think that up to a certain point, it can kill creativity by giving you a aesthetic that is sort of pre-planned, pre-packaged, and just 
McDonald dies. Yes. Lack yeah, it's like a it's like a set of rules. It's like a rule book. It's like here's this type of art, this type of art, this art, and these are this is the parameters that you have to work within, right? Oh, most certainly. And it, you know, when you get into things that they are saying are beautiful today, I just don't like it. I mean, the minimalism that is in so much art today, and just the modern art that's really non recognizable. When it comes to subject, it's so abstract that the average viewer can't get a handle on it. Mm-hmm. You know, the average viewer looks at it and says, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I don't believe in that. I believe that if it's a good piece of art, it can be understood by anybody without, you know, the need to take a class mm-hmm. to understand it. Yeah. And that's like, that's where I think a lot of people have this idea that if you're an art connoisseur, that you're snotty in some way, that you know something more, that you're elitist, um, and that you have this knowledge beyond the lay person. But I like what you're saying. It's like, art should be accessible to everyone. Yeah, and it really should. And, you know, that's a message that, frankly, the art world doesn't really care for, Mm. you know, the academics in it. But it's true. If you look at a lot of the great artists, they believed in the two, especially Picasso. And sitting in my office here, I was just looking at the quotes I had taped on my wall. Mm -hmm. And Picasso had a very good quote about that. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he grows up. (laughs) Mm. We're so influenced by what we think we should be doing or what's acceptable, right? Oh, yeah. Fear of what other people think. Oh, yeah. Fear of the societal labels, Mm -hmm. which modern art sought to break out of. But within that, they kind of became what they detested. And that was the establishment. So this is a good segue to Art Brute. What is it? And why is it important for our listeners to know about? Art brut is simply the French word for outsider art. And outsider art is defined as art that is made by anybody who does not have formal training and is usually labeled as somebody that society puts as an outcast. That would be um, people with mental illness, the poor... Etc. Etc. That pisses me off. Yeah. That's basically saying, yeah. oh, you don't belong in our elitist circle. You're not making real art because you weren't trained by us. You suck. <laughs> you are now marginalized yeah. by society. Goodbye. You know? Yeah, I mean, most certainly. But there is quite the community out there for Art Brood if you look for it, hmm. which is definitely a good thing. Are you part of that? That I am. I mean, I would, I'm definitely a art brute person in terms of the photography that I do. Mm-hmm. Although I do have academic training in um, drawing and painting. Okay. So technically, I wouldn't be labeled art brute with that. Okay. But with your photography, you're definitely considered art brute, right? Yeah. I mean, I am definitely art brute with that. Mm -hmm. But to find the communities on it, it's a good 
idea for, again, the aspiring creative, the aspiring image maker to hustle a bit and to Google it. Great. So I'm curious. I'm wondering if there are any people who are not part of the art brute movement who actually dig it, think it's cool, embrace it, and welcome it into more formally educated art circles. You know, there's quite a few collectors and um, gallery people who love art brute. And getting into the galleries, basically what I did was just Googling them and looking for them and going to their submission areas you know, they'll get back to you Mm -hmm. if they like it. And sometimes they'll get back to you with a criticism of it, a good criticism, if they don't. All right. Well, that's good to know. At least we know not everyone who participates in Art Brood is going to be marginalized forevermore. I want to know more about your photography and how your mental illness that you described earlier is expressed through your form of art brood or photography. The mental illness definitely motivates me in terms of the decay that is portrayed in my photographs. And, you know, that's also motivated quite a bit by the Southern Gothic influence that I have and the Gothic too. What is this decay all about? You know, the decay is interesting. It's almost like when you go past a car accident and you have sort of this morbid curiosity about it. Or another good way to put it, and this is Stephen King talking, and Mm. I thought he put this well, when he said that everybody, especially artists, though, has a filter. And certain things will go through your filter and stay there or leave and certain things will go through my filter and stay there or leave Mm -hmm. and it just so happens that with my filter um in king's case it's horror that sticks the macabre Mm -hmm. that sticks Mm -hmm. but in mine it's the decay of buildings and of gravestones grave monuments more specifically Mm -hmm. that sticks when it goes through my filter. Interesting. But certainly the macabre, too. So would you say that that's your way of releasing your depression? I wouldn't say it's totally releasing um, the depression, but it is taming it. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lion tamer in the circus, it's cracking that whip and, you know, poking that chair to get it in the corner for the time being. And it keeps it there for quite a while, but it tends to rear its ugly head again. And when it does, I go back out and I do more mm-hmm. of my art. How do you think that that works? Is it because of that you're focusing on, on this activity of expression? I think it is the activity of expression that really helps. Um, it would be the same thing, I would suppose, with psychotherapy, but with different dynamics in there, of course, with the art, you don't have to worry about things like um, the dynamic between therapist and the person getting mm. therapy where they put too much emotion, you know, t- on the other person. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about the time. And, you know, it just it takes weeks, if not months, to be effective right. with therapy. 
Yeah. You know what? Talk therapy seems kind of pointless in some ways to me. I feel like creatively expressing yourself through a project really can get you to a place of centeredness faster. Yeah, it gets you a concrete expression of the emotions that were there. Um, And in my case, when I shoot especially the um, grave monuments, it gets a different expression of what's there. I mean, and that is because the sculptor had one when he put that monument in. You know, he had an idea of what he was trying to convey. But when I reshoot it, when it is moss covered and, you know, just not cared for in years, it gets a whole different spin Mm -hmm. on it, Mm -hmm. a whole different um, lens, a whole different way of looking at it. And I like that. It's awesome stuff. So... Art is a catharsis. You're you're using it as an expression, and it's really helping you manage your depression. But does seeing your art sometimes serve as a reminder of it? Do you think it's a cyclical thing for you? Yeah, it definitely serves as a reminder. Um, But I wouldn't say that it triggers the depression again. Okay. Yeah, it's a reminder of how to evolve, if anything. Mm-hmm. How is your art changing as a result of using this as a method to express? It is definitely evolving in terms of technique, first of all, and in terms of emotion. You know, as the emotions change, the art changes. Mm. But Well, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. If I think about it from a songwriter perspective, it's like one day I'm going to write a love ballad. And the next day I'm going to write a song about how much I hate you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the same you know, thing. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. That's why I love art so much. You know, there's so much flexibility within it. With uh, with an accounting job, you can't really do that. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can hit your calculator a little harder. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly infinite possibilities with it. Have you spoken with anybody about this idea of using art as a replacement therapy for SSRIs? Um, I've spoken rather extensively with my doctor about it. What does your doctor have to say? He says that it's a great idea and he encourages it with that. Mm -hmm. Because he's seen you improve as a result, right? Yeah, I would definitely say so, although there's always bumps in the road you know, with that. Well, sure. I mean, we talked earlier about the whole hustle of the business side of art. It's not just about creating your your pieces of art. It's about also getting them out there, which is not an easy part of the business for a lot of people, especially artists, right? They don't want to be both the artist and the businessman. Yeah. You have to be able to take rejection, you know, on well with that and just realize that, hey, I'll just move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Is that sometimes a trigger for you? Does that, sometimes you said there are some bumps in the road. So what triggers it? You know, the rejections really don't trigger it. Hmm. And I think that's because I've also worked as a salesman and I realized that it's a numbers game. Sure. 
you know, first of all, yeah. if this gallery doesn't take my art it, for their show, you know, I'll move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. If I don't get published in one magazine, I'll move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also important with that. Um, and I would tell anybody who wants to take up art to manage a mental illness to realize on the rejection side when you do hustle to not burn your bridges with people and to not be too um, officious, I think would be the best word. Send out one email and always look at what the gallery standards are when you submit and abide by them. Mm -hmm. You know, to the letter, really. Because if you don't, a lot of people are just going to throw your submission out. So what has been a trigger for you then? If rejection is not a trigger for you, what is? Is it thinking about your next big piece of art or what? Um, you know, a lot of the triggers are stress with like my job and then the chronic pain that I know is a big part of so it. So it's unrelated but, to feeling like you need to produce uh, the next big piece of art from Wes. Yeah. And I've also had other triggers like the death of my cousin in December, which he was 21 and there was a car accident up by Peoria, Illinois. God. So. You're fortunate in that you have this ability to express it. So for somebody who doesn't have a natural talent with art and with having that kind of filtering system, that lens that you have... What kind of advice could you give to aspiring, or, or I don't know, the artist of tomorrow, or somebody who doesn't feel like they're an artist at all, but they want to explore this as an option to help manage their own depression? What kind of advice do you have for them to get started? Um, first of all, I would say to anybody who is aspiring, get rid of the notion that you have in your head of talent. Because art is not based upon talent. It's based upon trial and error. At least it was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I always tell people when they say, oh, you're so talented. No, I'm not. It's just (laughs) trial and error. Well, it's like anything. It's like, um, you know, practice. Most certainly. And you get into things like um, Malcolm Gladwell, the author, Mm -hmm. had a book out there where he said that anybody who is an expert in any field puts in about 10,000 hours to that field. Mm -hmm. So the second thing, no matter what you're passionate about, put in the time to get good at it. Practice your craft, whether it's selling, whether it's golf, you know, whether it's having a good looking lawn on your house. Oh, I'd like one of those. (laughs) (laughs) So what about the people who don't feel like they have an artistic leaning at all? Like they've never explored art. They felt like they, you know, they just have no, no inclination towards it. But they're, but they're curious about this as a way to manage their depression. So what about them? I would say with them, my first question would be, have you tried it? Mm-hmm. Give it a shot before you shoot it down, mm-hmm. in essence. Um, but in other ways, express yourself. You know, no matter what your leaning is with that, no matter what your favorite activity is to do that, 
find a way of expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is a good talent. Totally. And if you're struggling with things like depression and substance abuse, substance abuse especially, don't buy the 12-step notion that you're powerless because you're not. You know, you make your choices and you're responsible for your choices. Mm-hmm. And that can be empowering. It should be empowering to people. I don't know the details of 12-step, but it's interesting that you say that it renders people who go through the program powerless in some way. Why do you think that? Oh, well, that's part of the steps itself. Were you told to go through that was part of your rehab? I was. And the people that I went through it with were very well-meaning. And I'm sure a lot of the people that teach 12-step were very well-meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they need to realize that this message of, you know, not empowering people, of saying you're powerless with your addiction, is just not right. You have to realize that it's a choice you're making and be responsible. Are you saying it's like the, the statement of, I am an alcoholic? Is that stating powerlessness in your opinion? Yeah, it, it is stating powerlessness. Because people can and do beat alcoholism and other addictions every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and the first step says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Uh-huh. And evidently that powerlessness sticks because any AA meeting you go to, you know, says we are powerless over alcohol or whatever substance or behavior they are trying to get rid of. Wow. From your perspective, you're saying like you never allow yourself to step outside of that thought of being powerless and taking control over it. Um, And instead, it's an ongoing struggle for like the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's what they're saying with that. Essentially, is that you can never have power over it. Because when you go to those meetings, whenever you introduce yourself, you know, hi, my name is Wes. I am an addict, et cetera, et cetera. And that tends to stick. And from what I have read, it has a tendency to encourage binging type behavior and powerlessness. Wow. So was it purely through the expression of your art that you kicked your delauded addiction? You know, through the self-expression and through the help of other people. I mean, I met great people in rehab. Mm -hmm. And. I got a hell of a lot more out of conversing with them and with the lens of my camera than I did through the 12 steps. Wow. Art as a catharsis. So what is the biggest message or the biggest takeaway that you would want the people listening to have today for themselves or for people who they love, loved ones who struggle with mental illness? I mean, people who struggle with mental illness or the people who are around them and deal with the fallout, I think, need to realize that you're not powerless. You're powerful if you take control and if you seek things like art to express yourself. Mm -hmm. And don't let other people tell you you are powerless. Don't stand for that. Stand up and take control. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, take responsibility for your choices. Absolutely. 
I want you to talk for a second about your art on this clothing line. If you go to his website, everybody out there listening, it's gemcitynoir.photography. You'll see what I'm talking about. But tell us about this clothing line, Wes. A company out of San Francisco called Vita approached me through email in order to put my art on high-end clothing. And I looked at it, and I asked him, what rights to the art am I giving away? And that, by the way, should be something that anybody who is artistically inclined should ask before you give away, you know, before you submit, rather, any piece to a gallery or a magazine or anybody, Mm -hmm. is what kind of rights to my images am I giving to you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's very important. And Vita said the only thing that you're allowing us to do is to put it on the high-end clothes and to produce these clothes and to sell them. And we give you, of course, a cut of any sales from that. Nice. And I said, okay, we'll go ahead and do it. Well, heck yeah. Put it all over your damn clothes. <laughs> I like the yeah. scarves. I like the, they have these cashmere scarves that I saw and I was like, ooh, I'd like one of those. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's pretty cool. So what's next for you? Um, I'm also looking into film. And my minor, actually, at the college where I am studying is film. And it was kind of a natural step for me, I guess. Because actually how I learned how to shoot, how I got my eye, was by dissecting um, the film's noir from the great directors like Orson Welles, Mm. uh, Fritz Lang, um, Billy Wilder, and the others. You know, I literally looked at their camera angles and the cinematography And that's how I learned how to shoot. Wow. But right now I'm working on a screenplay about the Velisca Axe murders in Velisca, Iowa in 1912. Goodness. And how that ties into the unsolved murders in Kansas, Colorado, Missouri, and Illinois. That the theory going now were the work of a unknown but roaming serial killer named the midwestern axe man is this like a documentary um no actually it's a historical fiction piece Hmm. which i'm writing in a um, pinkerton detective at the time who sees the connection between these crimes and is looking for the killer which criminology has always been a interest of mine and of the major public west because i mean look at what happened with what was that thing on netflix the uh series making a murderer that was like so hugely popular yeah and i think hbo did a documentary on the um, west memphis three which Mm. was pretty popular when it came out too what's your dream like where do you want it to be do you want it to be on a netflix or a hulu or an amazon or do you want it to be in the in the theaters or what i would love to have the studio pick it up and i'm going to shop it around once it's done awesome and see if i can't get it picked up by somebody what's your uh, eta you know know, I really can't answer that with anything conclusive because I'm very picky Mm -hmm. about it when you write. I mean, I'm a perfectionist when I write. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of treading a razor with it to not make it too obscure because one of my um, other big influences with a lot of the art that I do is David Lynch. I believe like him that art should stand on its own merit. Mm-hmm. You know, he believes that so intensely that he doesn't even put chapters in the Blu-ray releases of his movies. Wow. Oh, his stuff is always a head trip to digest, mm-hmm. but it's all—it's a good head trip. You know, it's a <laughs> surrealist type head trip. Right. Well, I love it. And I'm so glad that you took time to share your message with people out there. I know that so many people struggle with anxiety, depression, and so knowing that art has been helpful to you and that it could be helpful to them as well and as an, a potential alternative treatment that is superior to SSRIs is an amazing message to leave with everybody. And I thank you for that, Wes. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, I mentioned your website, gemcitynoir.photography. How else can everyone reach you? They can reach me at facebook.com slash gemcitynoir as well. And also on Twitter, and that is at gemcitynoir. Mm-hmm. One word. And on Instagram, it's the same thing at Jim City Noir. I don't particularly care for it because you have to crop every image when oh, it goes in. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. And I get a little picky with that being a visual artist, but yeah. they can reach me there too. Well, don't judge me, so. Wes, because like I've got, <laughs> I have my team, we put the little NOL logo and we have to move it around all the time so that it doesn't get cut off for Instagram. So sometimes the logo is in such a strange place, like, like visually speaking, it's probably not where it should be, but we do that because of Instagram. <laughs> so don't oh, look at my layout. Don't look at my layout, Wes. Oh, I have faith in you guys to do it right. (laughs) It's art brute. Well, I've learned so much just by talking with you, and I'm so glad you reached out, and I'm looking forward to staying in touch with you and seeing uh, your film when it comes out, Wes. And maybe we can bring you back onto Nothing Off Limits to talk through the premise of your movie and uh, see what's happening once you're ready to promote that. Oh, it's my pleasure. That'd be great. Yeah, I would love to come it's been a great experience. Awesome. A lot of fun talking to you. It's fun talking with you, and I hope you have an amazing weekend. Go make some art. Oh, I plan on it. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.